Well, good morning, friends. Uh, thank you for joining us again. This is Roger and Angie coming from the Barnabas Bridge Recording Studios, also known as our living room. Uh, we're thankful that you're here. We're humbled that you've taken time out of your day to join us in this conversation about who is Jesus. Uh, today we're going to move into the final uh, message of our series that has been really um, looking at the words that Jesus spoke from the cross, the seven phrases or words that he spoke uh, in, during a six-hour period that, that changed the eternal hope and destiny for, for everyone that, has the, uh, that will come into the shadow of the cross. And so we're gonna, I would like to just open up and read that scripture today. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, and I, I hope that you've already found it, and you're, you're moving there at least. And it's a short, just two, two verses that I want to really point at today. And you may have had a heading in your Bible, and it says in mine, um, the heading for the beginning before verse number 44, it says Jesus' death. And so this is the finale of all the things that took place, uh, the weeks that we've covered this, and really the enormous movement of God um, that has always been pointing to this time of history. I want to just start reading in verse number 44, and it says, It was now about the sixth hour. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Amazing. Amazing point of history that took place on a hill many, many thousands of miles from here, 2,000 years ago, but yet lives are still being dramatically changed and an eternal destinies are being given with faith and trust in Him. Hmm. You know, Angie and I have had a discussion many, many times in our, in our time where we talk about where we can look back at our lives and, and think about the way that God orchestrates our lives and moves us and directs us and, and, and just is almost in complete control of pushing us in places and into relationships and into situations that we can look back now uh, from this vantage point and say they were critically important in our spiritual formation. Several years ago, we had the great blessing uh, to belong to a Sunday adult Sunday school class and uh, the church that we were attending at that time was just a great place to be. It was just really uh, filled with the Spirit, and it was just an uplifting experience every single time that we got together. And this particular adult Sunday school class was kind of like the who's who of, of that great church. And so I was relatively new as a believer at that time, and so I would look at these people that we were now attending this Sunday school class, and I would hear them speak, and, and I would watch their movements, and, and I was just like almost in awe of the lives that they were living, or I believe that they were living. Uh, because what they had was, they just had this air of confidence about them, um, of surety, of, of so many different things. And because I wasn't there yet in my spiritual life, you know, I looked at them and I said, you know, those folks, they, they've, got a, they've got just this blessed life, and everything in their life is in order, and it must just be beautiful. And maybe someday if I just keep hanging in there, uh, my life will look beautiful like that, and I won't have anything to worry about either. 
But you know, uh, we were there in that Sunday school class for a few years. And so I got to know these people and I got to know their lives and their families and so many things about them. And you know, what I thought I was seeing was a life of perfection was anything but that. What I found out was that their lives were really in many, many ways no different than mine. In fact, they were much, much worse than mine. They had the same troubles. They had the same trials. They had the same questions. They had the same um, darkness, really, sometimes in their lives. These old saints that I admired so much, what I became to know is that they didn't have a life that was a bed of roses by any means. They didn't put up some false facade that said, hey, uh, I'm in love with Jesus and so everything's fine, when in reality their lives were falling apart. They didn't do that either. And they weren't, it wasn't that they weren't realists that said, you know, I have trouble in my life because as I got to know them in an in a individual, in an intimate way, we were able to share those things. But what I ended up truly admiring in their lives is these people in the midst of all of this life that sometimes isn't all that great. They continued to faithfully model uh, what is really a rarity in this life. What they modeled to me as a, as a younger Christian and a growing Christian and how they changed my own spiritual formation is that they had a complete, undying, unquestionable trust in God. Amidst and during all the heartache and surprises that life can throw at you. That's what they had. And that's what they taught me. And that's what I continue to hope that I build on in my life. You know, in our scripture that we read just a moment ago, I, I, I can't imagine that um, a more vivid example of trust that we could possibly ever find and read than the one that was given to us by the Master on the cross that day. That day, that six-hour period when all of eternal um, destinies were changed. It was his final statement when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Think what was said at that moment. In Christ's darkest hour, he was completely separated by God the Father, separated by our sins, your sins and mine, mind you. He was literally in the dark that would represent the eternal destiny or my eternal reality had it not been for His faithfulness on the cross that day, that darkness of hell. In all of that, He trusted and proved it when he said, Father, even in this, I might add that in there, even in this darkest hour, I trust you and I commit my spirit to you. <laughs> I can't imagine a greater example of complete and utter trust. A few weeks ago we Look back at that, what would Jesus do? I, I think the question for us today, 
what do we do when we have our own dark hours? On the cross that day, I think it's clear we could take away uh, three things, and four maybe. Number one, we will have dark hours, dark days, dark months, years, and extended years on this side of heaven. It is most certainly a part of life. On this side of heaven, number two, we will experience pain and sorrow and loneliness and loss. I think just like Jesus, and number three, we will have days when we cry out to God and say, My God, my God, where are you? But in the midst of all that darkness, the question of number four is, what will we do? Will we still trust? If that is Jesus' example, and it is, then is all, in all of Scripture, just like all of Scripture, there is an application that we must take away from this in this critical juncture of what had take place on the cross that day. Charles Spurgeon has this fantastic quote. And he says, To trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust Him in the dark. Now that is faith. To trust Him in the dark, that is faith. And really, faith and trust, that interchangeable word, isn't it? And so where is our faith? And so where is our trust? And, and do we believe in the dark, or is it just in the light, when things are good for us, that we can say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ? But much more importantly, for us to change, and for our, our lives to be ones of freedom, we have to find a way to trust Him most earnestly and faithfully, and without fail, like those old saints in that Sunday school class, when the times are the darkness. Because, folks, the ultimate trajectory of our lives, it just can no longer be based on a facade that, you know, on whether we are going to fall into times of hardship and times of the unknown, because that's just a given of life. We will find ourselves in those situations. But as God's people, the ultimate trajectory of our life just has to be what we choose to do in the moment, in that precise moment of those radically unnerving events. What are we going to do there? And how are we going to move forward from there? And I'll tell you, it isn't that we wait until hard times come. But it's on days like this when we're still able to hear God clearly. From the cross, He says, Into your hands, Father, even now I commit my soul. And so it's this transition from the, what we know Jesus did for us and what He says in our voice or our word at least, that our claim to faith, our claim to faith, and our transition into one that is real and true and lasting. So we must pour a foundation in the light. So when the darkness does come, when the darkness does come, we still trust and we still 
allow God to move. How does that happen? How do we lay the foundation? Well, I, I think that we can't just stay here at the cross. Because neither did Jesus. It's a time where we lay our sins down at the cross and we move forward into our lives and that we believe the power of the cross has to heal and to change and to move. There's an important verse in, in, in uh, second, 1 Corinthians 15.19. Scripture says there, If our hope in Christ only applies to this life, we are the most pitiful people of all. How do we move on in faith from today, the darkest hour? Well, when we know without the shadow of a doubt that regardless of the darkness of today, there is great, bright, promised hope in the future. That's when we know freedom. That's when we learn to fully trust. And that's when we act differently. That's when we act confidently. Our scripture that we read today, it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. If, we, if you have an opportunity sometime to look at Matthew 27, 51, he says it a little bit more expansive on it. And he says, at that moment, at that split moment when man's relationship with God the Father was restored. All the work of that six hours, the pain, the suffering, the darkness, for those who believe, the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom at that specific, precise moment. That's the rest of the story. And so how do we have faith? How do we have trust in the darkness? Well, when we cling to the rest of the story. Amen? That curtain that was torn in two. I, I don't want to give an expansive explanation of this. I, I know that most of you know this and you certainly can look it up. Um, in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, and it was, a, it was a room that only one time a year, the high priest would be able to enter that area. And when he did, he would have been sacrificially clean, who would have spent many days of working to get himself prepared for that specific moment. And he would go in and he would ask for the forgiveness of the sins of all of Israel. And the moment that he walked out of there, no one would be back in that room for another year. But we all know the realities of life. The moment that he stood up and walked out, the sins would once again become accumulating against him and against all of Israel. But at that moment, when the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, it represented all believers' opportunity to walk right into the throne room of God. No longer was there a barrier of our sin because it was taken care of in the darkness. No sin will ever remain in the life of believers that will separate us from God. 
I have to give you another Spurgeon quote this week, this today, because Angie did such a good job on our Facebook post this week. She uh, nailed it of where I was going with the message. How do we have faith? How do we have trust in the darkest hours? Spurgeon says this, You stand before God as if you were Christ, because Christ stood before God as if, as if he was you. My sins are gone. My stain is gone. I'm invited into the Holy of Holies with my prayers. And in that, I find the rest of the story. And I can act different. I can act confident, regardless of what station or particular moment this life has me in. But there's even more. Because we know that Jesus Christ didn't stay on that cross either. He was buried for three days, and then he rose. <laughs> and if he rose from the grave, so will I. So will you. So will all believers in his name. But then there was more even after that. Because he ascended into heaven. And Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, Imagine yourself in your darkest moment. And you have this verse alone, firmly placed in your mind. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, because he has done this, he was in the darkness for six hours, for, or for three hours, for you and for me, and covered all of our sins, and now lo longer is there condemnation for those found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That interchangeable word, faith and trust. If we truly believe all of these things took place, if we truly know for sure that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father and speaks my name and yours and says, Father, forgive them, they're with me. Then how can we not walk through this life in a way that is confident, in a way that finds joy and peace and hope and love, even in the darkest hour, fully trusting in God gives us that ability. And so the question has to be, is that what my life looks like or your life looks like when the unbelieving world looks at us? Because quite frankly, it's pretty tough to try to share the good news if it doesn't look like good news in our life. Right? Because I was on both sides of the cross in my adult life. And I will tell you that for a lot of times it looked like the um, people who said they or claimed they believe in Jesus Christ, they went through the same struggles and the pain and the sorrow, and I saw their lives unraveling. 
some of them. But you know, this week I've had opportunity to think back on again as my life grew and my trust, my faith, and how it did. And I'll tell you what, it was because of the people that I watched around me who did it differently. The fact of the matter is, and I think I've shared this with you, I know for sure some of you, uh, when I came to Christ, it wasn't because someone was throwing a Bible at me. But it was people in the darkest hour of their life in an emergency room, in an intensive care unit, that faced the reality of the troubles they were in. But without fail, over and over and over and over again, they showed this non-believer that they had complete trust to offer up the lives of their friends and their family and their loved ones into the hope that is the hands of the Father. It's a day for us to settle this. Settle this in the day of life so we, when we find ourselves in the darkness, we understand fully that our Savior defends us in heaven. And so there is no darkness that can hold us. Settle it today and know for sure that the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave. And if He did, we will too. Settle it today that we have no doubt, not even a smidgen of doubt, that when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come back for you, we know without, a, without any doubt whatsoever that that will take place and we long for the day that we see him face to face. Let's get there. Because I'm just convinced that our greatest witness to a needy world, seeking some kind of light, I found that I find that, that is most readily available when God's people are trusting in Him. My prayer for myself and for all of you is that when the world that is so needy right now, when they look at us, they see a consistent God-focused, God-trusting, faith-filled life. Next week we're going to start a new series, and it's going to be called The Gifts of Christmas. And so I hope you're able to join us, uh, however, whatever platform you're, you're using right now, whether it's YouTube or podcast or even in a church setting, um, I, I, if this has been beneficial and if you're looking forward to the next series, uh, we hope that you uh, um, tell others about us and, uh, and share it with them. And if you're preparing for that Gifts of Christmas series, if you want to peek under the tree, so to speak, you can go to 2 Corinthians 9.15 where it says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And so I think you know where we're going with these gifts of Christmas. And truly it will be. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift that we can always trust fully in. And we know that we can carry ourselves with confidence 
even in the darkest days. God bless you guys, and we'll see you soon. Take care.